All right. Hello and welcome back to Utah Places and Traces, everybody. Um, sorry for the long wait in between episodes. We've been pretty busy and we've been trying to catch up on our schedules and figure a few things out. So I apologize for the hiatus, but um, I really wanted to slip in a October Halloween spooky episode before October ended. thought that was something that we needed. Unfortunately, like I said, it's just me. Casey and Jake are extremely busy. Casey's in law school. Jake is in grad school. And um, Jake just bought a house. He's got a kid. They're busy folks, so I don't blame him for that. I've got the studio gear, so I figured, hey, I may as well just record an episode on my own and put it up there since we got to keep consistency up and get stuff out there. So I hope they can forgive me for going behind their backs and recording an episode on my own. So yeah, today's episode is going to be a spooky one. It's going to be about haunted Utah. Um, So I just kind of went through the Utah archives to find some of the creepiest stories, um, some of the most haunted places, and just talk about that a little bit. I'm going to be touching a little bit on four different topics. The first one is going to be Devil's Highway, and this is a highway called... um, I guess it's called Highway 666, and they've nicknamed it the Devil's Highway because of that. Um, And a lot of weird, paranormal, spooky stuff has happened on that highway, so we'll get into that. The next place is called Benson Grist Mill, which is supposedly a haunted mill from the mid-1800s. And it's up by Tooele, Utah, so anyone from up in that area probably knows what I'm talking about. Um, I didn't know anything about it until I did this research, so it should be new to most of you. We'll also be talking about Peary's Egyptian Theater, and this is located in Ogden, Utah. It is said to be a haunted theater. Uh, That's pretty much all you need for the teaser there. And the last thing I'll be talking about is an alien abduction story. It's a encounter of the fourth kind type deal um, happening in central slash western Utah. I thought it was a sweet story. It's kind of creepy. I sure hope it's real. Uh, I kind of dug it out of the archives from an old website, an old city website. So yeah, um, before I get into it, I just wanted to talk a little about what we have coming up. So uh, we had originally planned to do a, a couple parter episode on Skinwalker Ranch uh, this month, just being October. We wanted to get into the creepy stuff, right? Um, but unfortunately, we've been extremely busy, haven't been able to pump out a Skinwalker Ranch episode. So Please stay tuned and look out for that coming up in November or December. We're hoping November. Uh, That's going to be a really, really great episode. Skinwalker Ranch, again, is really near where Casey grew up, and so she's got some great insight into what that place has in store. Uh, Also, before I get into things, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Great Salt Lake. Um, Since this is a very chirotic issue right now here in Utah, as a lot of you probably know, the Great Salt Lake is drying up very quickly, and that's not something that we want to happen. Um, It's incredibly important and beneficial for our environment here in Utah and in making it a livable place. The the lake bed um, exposing at this quick rate has been causing toxic dust to be lifted up by windstorms and carried into communities and um, living areas, making people sick, poisoning people. This is something that happened in Nevada a couple decades ago and made a lot of people sick and killed some people. And uh, we really don't want this to happen in Utah. Uh, There are things that can be done to save the lake. So please, please, please read about it. One resource I found is www.saveourgreatsaltlake.org. So please check that out and go ahead and read about it 
and you can volunteer there. You can donate to help provide resources to save the lake. So please do that. It's an important part of Utah. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the episode. Um, I'm going to begin talking about Devil's Highway. So the reason it's called that is because the highway was originally called Highway 666, which, as most people will know, is the mark of the beast. So people decided to nickname it Devil's Highway. And when the U.S. National Road Service was building and naming this highway, you'd think they would have avoided that number, but uh, lo and behold, we had it. And it's it's since been changed to Highway 491, but it, there was a span of a couple decades where it was uh, where it was Highway 666, and a lot of weird stuff happened on that road. People were consistently claiming that they saw paranormal things happening there, including packs of demon dogs, a little girl in a white dress roaming the highway. Um, they saw fire trucks, not, and not the fire truck in that sense, like flaming trucks on fire driving down the road. So really, really weird stuff has happened there. Um, interestingly enough, it's not a very deadly highway in that sense. Not a lot of people have died on it, but people have just seen weird stuff on it. And I actually have a good friend of mine who had a uh, firsthand experience driving on that highway that I'll talk about at the end. But so essentially, things that people claim to have seen while driving at night specifically, they've seen uh, a girl in a white dress who wanders. They all claim to have seen a very similar looking girl walking on the highway. So many of them will stop um, on the side of the road and try and give her a ride. And when they stop, she'll vanish or uh, she'll look at them and then disappear into thin air or something. The, kind of the, the classic spooky story that you hear. But the, the firsthand account that my friend told to me was similar. But what he said was he was driving down this up this highway, I guess. So it's a highway, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but it runs from uh, northwestern New Mexico up through Colorado and into southeastern Utah, and it ends in that area, so it's a pretty short highway. But he was driving up this highway from Colorado, and uh, he said as he was driving, he sees, again, he sees this figure walking on the side of the highway off to his right, but he doesn't pull over because he's freaked out by it. Um, but as he looks in his rearview mirror to check out what he saw again, uh, he sees this figure all of a sudden run across the road and jump into the bushes on the other side of the street. So he thought that was kind of creepy. You know what? I don't know how to explain it. Maybe there was someone actually walking on the highway. Maybe it was a real ghost. Again, you decide. Um, so yeah, another thing that people see a lot on this highway are skinwalkers, and that can be really uh, a lot of different things because skinwalkers are known to be shapeshifters. And again, we'll get into, uh, we'll get a lot more in depth into skinwalkers uh, next month. Get excited for that. But yeah, so these skinwalkers are known to be shapeshifting animal-like creatures who can run as fast as your car can drive. Sometimes they'll appear in the back of your car um, trying to take your soul as you drive. Uh, just kind of creepy stuff like that. Another account that I found on weirdus.com uh, talks about the story of a man who was driving alone on Route 666 one night uh, when suddenly he, quote, saw a truck that looked like it was on fire heading straight for him right down the middle of the highway. The truck was going so fast that sparks were flying up off the wheels and flames were coming from the smokestack. He estimated that the truck was traveling about 130 miles an hour, so he pulls off the side of the road and he jumps into the bushes or runs into the desert, 
until the uh, truck had passed him by. I mean, there are crazy people out there that drive flaming trucks. <laughs> Maybe it was the uh, Ghost Rider who upgraded to a big old monster truck. You never know. Yeah, so not only has paranormal stuff happened on this road, but there is an account of a woman who had a heart attack while driving on the highway and drove head on into a truck. So talk about bad luck, am I right? All right, so that's Devil's Highway. If you ever want to drive on it, look out for uh, Highway 491, and that is originally Highway 666. So beware, don't drive at night. The next thing we're going to get into is Benson Grist Mill. Um, if you've ever heard of this place, then you'll know what I'm talking about. It's an old mill um, that was originally um, built in 1854, and it was initiated by Ezra Taft Benson I, not the one that we know. It is the LDS Church Prophet's great-grandfather, great sorry, one great, <laughs> so great-grandfather with the exact same name, um, he was commissioned by Brigham Young to go out and raise up this big mill for all the church people who had just migrated to Utah and were settling out in the Tooele area. And so, yeah, they they um, went out to, I guess it was specifically in Richland, Utah, and they constructed this mill. Um, it eventually was purchased by various church leaders in Utah um, and prominent people and eventually made its way to Reuben J. Clark, um, who the BYU Law School is named after. Shout out to Casey. And he was the last um, major person to own it before it was abandoned in 1938 completely. Years later, uh, I believe a couple decades later, it was purchased by the Terracor Corporation, and they completely rehauled it and renovated it and made it a tourist attraction, a historical site. And by 1972, it was added to the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. And they officially had it open for whoever wanted to visit it. So while they were renovating it, uh, the construction workers would um, report paranormal accounts. Um, they, they stated that they often saw a little girl spirit running around. It's always a little girl, isn't it? Anyways, they saw a little girl spirit running around, and they sometimes claimed to see this red mass type thing. Male voices kind of in the air around them kind of freaked them out, right? But these sightings continued to happen as tourists would come. So visitors um, that came to visit the mill claimed to have felt a dark energy within the mill boundaries. Uh, another, I guess, a, here's a quick list of things that they claimed to have experienced. Like one being the dark energy, two, a mysterious red mass sometimes caught on camera outside the building, the spirit of a girl named Alice has been seen haunting the pool area where she drowned years ago. The voice of a male saying hello and has been captured by those looking for electronic voice phenomenon. A former mill worker who never left roams the property and continues working. An angry male spirit is said to reside on the property and makes, present, makes his presence known by touching guests and making loud noises. So these are all things that people have collectively accounted to have experienced or seen. One of the one of the accounts that is backed up is of the girl who drowned, supposedly drowned. This is something I looked up on multiple sources, and there was indeed a girl named Alice uh, who drowned in this small creek slash pool area um, years and years ago. And so people claim to still see her haunting the area at Gristmill. 
and again, this is a really interesting place because the Terracor Corporation, they offer paranormal packages or paranormal tours where they allow paranormal research groups to come and stay overnight um, and they'll let them use whatever equipment they want to take readings, to film, and to try and do whatever paranormal research they want to. So they kind of take advantage of its paranormal properties and they uh, they kind of rent it out to paranormal teams. I think it's funny. But there have been several prominent paranormal teams who have created episodes of this place, like on YouTube, for example. Go and check it out. They're pretty interesting. All right, so there is Benson Grist Mill. Definitely a creepy place. A lot of the things that I, that I read about it claim that it's it really is one of the creepiest places in Utah. And this is according to all the paranormal research teams. They, they say, like, creepy stuff is happening here. This is real. It's going down. Believe what you will. Maybe go and check it out first before you make any claims. So uh, let's move on. The next thing I want to talk about is Peary's Egyptian Theater. If you've heard of this, um, then you'll know what I'm about to, to get into. It's really, really interesting. And I've, I've read a lot of um, stories and I've actually heard uh, legends and myths of this place. I actually went to this theater uh, one time as a kid and I remember being told that it was haunted by my parents and it freaked me the heck out. I was kind of like, my eyes were just darting around the entire time I was there uh, trying to see if I could see anything, but uh, I never did, unfortunately. But yeah, so Peary's Egyptian Theater, it's located in downtown Ogden. It was built in 1923, and it was modeled after a, an Egyptian courtyard. Everything Egyptian was trending during that time after the discovery of King Tut's tomb in 1922. So there were several, there were Egyptian theaters built all over the United States, and there were two built in Utah, this one in Ogden and another one in Park City that was built a few years later. So it, it was meant to be the showcase of the world. It was one of the first theaters of its kind in Utah. Um, it was originally built as a movie palace um, and was then later renovated several times into a to double as a theatrical life performance place and a movie theater slash whatever you want it to be. Uh, it, like I said, underwent several renovations throughout the years, and this is to uh, accommodate for live theater, wider screen, more seating, yada, yada. Uh, legend says that renovating historical structures can trigger the awakening of spirits who love the original structure or spend a lot of time or did spend a lot of time there. Whether this is true or not, I don't know, but it's it's widely thought to be true in the theater community um, and in the industry. And so this place is uniquely historical and known to be haunted because of all the renovations and specifically because of some tragedies that happened during the building of this theater. So historically, just a little brief history on spirits and theater. Historically, it's believed that theaters attract spirits in general, just for several reasons. Uh, it's well known in theater industry that spirits are attracted to performing spaces. One theory states that spirits are drawn there solely based on the, high con the highly concentrated outpouring of emotion and energy, all within one space, actors, musicians, excited audiences, and unadulterated energy acts as, <clears throat> acts as a hub for spirits to enjoy the afterlife, I guess. That's one thing people say. Uh, another interesting tradition within theater uh, is what the professionals call the ghost light. And the ghost light is usually a single incandescent light bulb and is placed on a stand in the middle of the stage and left there overnight. 
This acts as like an invitation for spirits to use the stage freely for themselves overnight. They say it gives them their designated time so they don't disturb the real performances during opening hours. Uh, Some theaters even go a step further by permanently reserving certain seats for the spirits. I think that's kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really noticed that. I mean, what, I don't know what they do, do during a, a sellout. Maybe they just don't count those seats. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so if you've ever spoken with someone who works in that industry, in the theater industry, they will tell you um, that they've experienced paranormal stuff. They will have plenty of stories to tell you. I guarantee it. I personally actually experienced paranormal stuff in the theater. So when I was in college, I used to travel a lot and perform with a uh, collegiate performing group. I got to travel to theaters all over the Western United States and even all over uh, Central, Northern Europe, and Southeast Asia. So I've been in a ton, ton, ton of theaters, and I've witnessed the creepiness that it can offer. Only in one of them, though, have I ever experienced something legitimately creepy, Um, and that was in BYU-Idaho's main performance hall up in Rexburg, Idaho. (laughs) Random place, I know. But this is actually something that if anyone has performed there, they will know this because I think it's a legend within that theater, within uh, the university, is that on the right side of of backstage, there's a whole wall of ropes that control the curtains and the lighting and whatnot. Um, This isn't every, you'll find one of these in every theater. But this wall of ropes, they usually just sit super taut, super tight and long and stiff um, they're kind of hard to move, and they always recommend don't touch them, right? Because if you touch them, you might dislodge one of the one of the lights. They can fall down, kill someone, right? Don't do that. But at BYU Idaho, one of the ropes among the three four hundred ropes on this wall is always moving, always, always, always moving. I've been there a few times, and every time I've been there, the exact same rope is always moving, and none of the ropes around it. Are moving at all. So you can rule out the idea that it's a breeze or some kind of vibration issue within it because some you'd think some of the ropes around it would be moving, right? But they're not. It's just weird. And my dad, who's also a performer, he used to perform up at BYU-Idaho a long time ago when he was in college. And he said that even then it was still doing the exact same thing back in the 80s. So who knows how long it's been going on, but I've witnessed it myself. I, I even took the liberty to, to grab the rope and kind of hold on to it. And when you hold on to it, it kind of fe- you can feel like a, a rhythmic vibration in it. Um, it almost feels like someone is tapping it every two seconds. So kind of interesting, kind of weird. Not very threatening uh, or scary necessarily, but just interesting. Again, given the history of spirits and theater, it's just kind of fun to imagine that, hey, maybe there's a friendly ghost sitting out there just plucking the, plucking the rope. So anyways, back to Peary's Egyptian. Sorry for the tangent. So Peary's theater employees, performers, and audience members throughout the years have consistently re- reported many accounts of seeing spirits. The majority of the sightings are of a young preteen girl, Uh, This is based on the legend of a young 12-year-old pre-adolescent girl named Allison uh, who died in 1923 during the construction of the theater. Legend says that Allison would often visit her father, who worked as a builder of the theater. Um, And one day, she had brought her father lunch. She was exploring the construction site in the theater, and she fell off some of the inner scaffolding and died. 
Um, apparently, she has only been seen uh, or spotted in the theater since the 1997 renovation. So what would that be like 60 years later, 70 years later, something like that? Um, she hadn't been seen until then, but lots of people have claimed to have seen this little pre-adolescent girl. Um, so Allison is described as having shoulder-length hair and often stands near the stairs leading up to the private seating boxes. She loves to amuse herself by playing the piano, turning lights on and off, and climbing around the balcony area. Some patrons have uh, reported seeing a little girl sitting in the empty, empty seats next to them. Wouldn't that be creepy? You just... Uh, you thought the seat next to you was empty, but then you turn and uh, out of the corner of your eye, you see a little girl sitting there. And then you uh, double take and she's gone. Creepy. There's actually another interesting account I read is of one of the uh, actors that was preparing for a show backstage. Uh, this would have been, I, it didn't give an exact year, um, but uh, the account says that the actor was uh, preparing for the show backstage, looking in the mirror, putting makeup on, whatever, and she reported to have seen a little girl walk past her door through the hallway outside of her dressing room. And she said that in the small glance that she saw her, she was wearing an old-looking dress that could have been reminiscent of the early 20th century. When she got up a few minutes later to, to check, she asked if anyone had seen a little girl or a child, and nobody had. There were, she claimed that there were no children in the cast of the show and, and there was no reason that any kids should have been backstage at all. Think of it what you will. That is one of the firsthand accounts. So yeah, um, I've been to Perry's Egyptian theater, like I said. I never saw anything, never felt anything, but I was kind of creeped out because I was a kid. Um, <laughs> my imagination was running wild and I really wanted it to be true because... It's fun. It's kind of interesting. It's spooky. So there's Piers Egyptian Theater. Uh, they still have lots of shows there. Go ahead and get a ticket to something up there and see for yourself if it's actually haunted. Okay, so the last um, story I want to get into is of an alien abduction or an old encounter of the fourth kind story that I found. Um, this is a really interesting one. And it's interesting because <clears throat> it bears strikingly similar details to other stories reported to have happened um, all across the U.S. And it involves memory loss, it involves uh, hypnosis, and potential encounters of the fourth kind. It's kind of creepy. Um, so I found this story in an old uh, city archive, um, and I couldn't find any other stories about it. But the reason that it was so interesting to me because of those similarities that it similarities that it um, shares with other stories and encounters across the U.S. So let that be an introduction to you. So I've kind of typed up a cinematic-ish version of the story, and so I'm just going to read that story to you. On a winter day in 1968, two young men named Stuart and Asher were headed back to their home in Delta, Utah from Ely, Nevada. They had been visiting with some friends over the weekend and were ready to make the two-hour and 20-minute drive back home. Glancing at the clock before they left, 9 p.m. Pacific time, they figured that it, they would make it back to Delta, Utah by about 12.30 a.m. at the latest. This was a drive they made often. However, this trip would turn out to be a noteworthy one. About halfway into their drive, they had just crossed the border into Utah and were approaching a mountain called King Top. 
they noticed a bright light illuminating the sky from the other side of the mountain. As they approached it, they noticed the car begin to sputter. It came to a halt, and Stuart got out to see what was wrong with it. The lights uh, from the mountain actually provided some needed visibility to help him see what was wrong with the car. But after a few minutes of failed inspections, the light behind the mountain suddenly went out. A few seconds later, the car engine turned back on. They both mentioned feeling slightly dazed and confused for a few minutes, but they got back in the car and drove on, assuming that it may have just been the uh, fumes from the engine. They looked to their right as they passed the mountain to see if they could see the source of the light, thinking that it must have been a construction crew working late. But they saw nothing, not even another car on the road with them. They eventually made it home. When they did, they were in for a shock. Stuart dropped off Asher, and when he glanced at his clock getting into bed, expecting it to be 12.40, maybe 12.50, due to their engine problems, he learned that it was 4 a.m. Had he seen the time wrong when they left Nevada? Had they somehow fallen asleep at the wheel? Was the clock broken? He was completely shocked to find that all the clocks in his house were indeed in sync with 4 a.m. Asher went straight to Stewart's house the next morning and asked if he noticed what time it was when they got home. He didn't seem to have noticed. He told Asher that he had just gone straight to bed when he got home and hadn't checked the time. Unable to comprehend what, was, what had happened during those three mysterious hours, Asher thought back to the lights they saw behind the mountain. The engine suddenly stopped and then restarts again. What could possibly have happened to make him forget three hours of his life? As the weeks went on, both experienced severe headaches. They sought medical help, but the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. They reached out to a psychiatrist after the headaches persisted. Stewart was beginning to question what had happened that night as well, due to the medical issues that they were both experiencing. Even though he didn't recognize the time loss, he was able to recall all the strange details with the lights and the car engine to the psychiatrist along with Asher. To their shock, they were told that a similar case had been reported in 1961, just seven years earlier in New Hampshire. Apparently, a couple had experienced strange lights on the highway and lost two hours of their memories. They had been put into a hypnosis with a psychiatrist and were able to recall memories of aliens conducting experiments on them, such as taking skin, nail, and hair samples. The woman even claimed that a pregnancy test was performed on her. Worried that the same thing may have happened to them, Asher and Stewart asked the psychiatrist to perform hypnosis on them. He agreed, but they weren't able to achieve anything with it. They continued to have headaches and anxiety for the rest of their lives. Stewart always claimed that he didn't believe Asher about the time loss, but Asher insisted he checked all the clocks in his home, and it had indeed taken them six hours to make a 2.5-hour drive. Though they disagreed on this detail, they both experienced chronic medical issues for the rest of their lives after that night. So there you have it. There is an old Utah encounter of the fourth kind. Believe what you will. Um, I don't know. I like, to, I like to enjoy these stories. I think that there's some truth to them. I think there's validity to everyone's story. And the thing that really creeps me out about it are the striking similarities between this story and the other stories that other people have encountered across the United States. The creepy thing to me are the similarities that it bears with other encounters from across the United States. The car breaking down, the lights, losing three hours of your life, of your memory. Um, just creepy, you know? It's super creepy. I kind of hoped that uh, the, the hypnosis would have worked on them. Uh, just to see if they remembered any creepy gray aliens 
picking at them and taking skin samples. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't work out for them. So yeah, there you go. Those are some of the stories that I found. Um, I, I did want to talk about Skinwalker Ranch and about the monster of Bear Lake, but I decided, or we have decided, that we're going to make those uh, their own episodes. So like I mentioned, Skinwalker Ranch, that'll be coming out next month in a multi-part series. And we'll do another episode on the monster of Bear Lake coming up soon as well. That's another fascinating uh, piece of folklore in Utah history. So thanks again for joining me, just little old lonely me, on this episode today. And um, I wish you a happy Halloween and a great fall season. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.